Hey, so it's a couple weeks into the new year. It's exciting. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of a poll because um, what happens at New Year is everyone, well, theoretically, people do like New Year's resolutions. Did anyone here do any New Year's resolutions? Anyone? Awesome. This is about the same turnout as the first service, like four brave people, and the rest of us need to, as our New Year's resolution, do more New Year's resolutions for the following year. Um, so I won't ask you whether you've kept up or not. The reason I was curious is because right about now is that statistically, a couple weeks in is the time where like 80% of all those New Year's resolutions fall off the cliff. And people don't usually follow along with them because they're too hard. And so I'm not personally much of a New Year's resolution type person. Instead, I'm more like goals, which is kind of semantics, but it makes more sense in my head. So usually every year I'll be thinking through, like, oh, in this next year, here's what are some like big things I'd really like to do? Like what are some things I just want to make sure happen and get going. And so for me, I mean, for most of you guys are aware, I'm a pastor here at the church, but my main job is actually, we're going to be planting and starting a brand new church out in Papamoa East in the early part of this year, which we're super excited about. Hey, it's going to be awesome, but it made for really boring New Year's resolutions, you know, because um, it was already decided. Like on New Year's Eve, I didn't stay up till uh, midnight because I've got two little kids and they don't sleep in. So I was in bed by 10.30 and it was glorious. And, um, but I was chatting with some people there, and people were like, Colin, do you have any big New Year's resolutions? And my wife, Haley, asked me, Colin, do you have any big New Year's plans? Like, what do you, want, what do you really want to see happen in 2018? And I was like, um, I guess I'd like to start a church, really. Uh, it's kind of my one big goal. Everything after that is kind of like fluff. Because, you know, and I've been thinking about that a lot in these last few weeks of goals and what do you want to happen. I'd love to see this church get going. I'd love to... Uh, I'd love for me and my family, Haley, to be able to move out into Papamoa so we can live out into that community. I'd like to write some more music. I'd like to go play some shows. There are lots of goals I had kind of planned out. And chances are you do too. But as I've been thinking about these goals in these past couple of weeks, I was reading through the Bible and I came across one of those verses that was incredibly beautiful, but also incredibly annoying at the same time. And I never find those in the Bible. No, of course you don't. You guys are really spiritual. Um, but I do. And so I was reading through Ephesians, and I came across this verse that just bothered me to no end. Like, just, it got in my head, and I couldn't get it out. You know, you just keep thinking about it, and it, it got stuck with me. So I'll read it to you, and I'll see if it bothers you too. So this verse comes from the first chapter of Ephesians in uh, verse 17. It's where Paul's kind of done this nice little introduction, and now he launches into this prayer for the Ephesians. And he prays, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Anybody else annoyed by that verse? No, just me. Look, what it was, no, just go with me. Don't worry, I haven't lost my faith or anything yet. Look, I was reading through this first verse, and I, to understand why I'm annoyed, I need to let you in on a secret. Um, so Paul's praying here, right? He's praying for the people. 
And you may not know this, I probably shouldn't tell you because it's going to ruin it for me and Craig from now on, but for those of us who are preaching and communicating, prayers are a really important part of what we do. Um, mostly because, I mean, sometimes you preach really good sermons, but sometimes you're preaching terrible ones, you know, and you're just boring and you get all your words mixed up. Prayers are like this golden opportunity for like a little do-over. You know, all the things you got wrong in the sermon, in the post-prayer, you can say it really concisely to try and do it a better job. Now, you're going to hear it every time someone prays at the end of a sermon again. Well, it's the same point again, but better. The whole sermon probably could have just been that prayer. Um, So prayers are a really, really key, key thing. And so this is Paul's prayer. And here's, this is where it started to bother me because I'm like, oh, this is Paul's prayer. This is where you figure out when Paul thinks of this church in Ephesus, what does he want for them? What's the one thing he wants them to take away? What's this one goal he hopes they take from this letter and in their journey? What's this one thing they hope for? And now if you know some of the stories about the Ephesians, they had a lot of things that they needed help with. So they had huge fights um, between Jews and Gentiles. They didn't get along. They wanted to worship in separate spaces. They had all kinds of weird relationships. Husbands and wives weren't getting along. Um, Slaves and masters were fighting. They had this weird oppressive spiritual environment that they were in, and some people were going off to other gods. They had a lot of issues. And so when Paul, if I were Paul, and I were thinking about this church, and I'm thinking about the goals for them and what I'd want to pray for them, often my prayer would have been like, well, God, I pray that you'd make these guys a little bit less racist, you know? Or... God, I wish you could help these people get along or make them being soft, so much like stop being self-centered or help that you just help them to figure out their lives. Like really practical goals. These are all the things I'd want this community that has all kinds of problems to achieve. These are the things I'd hope for them. What does Paul hope for them? What's the big thing that he hopes for? It comes in this first verse. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Oh, here it goes. So that you may know him better. That's his hope. Out of all the stuff, they're racist, they don't like getting along, families are infighting. The one thing he hopes for them is that you would know God better. And here's why this started to bother me. This was Paul's great prayer for this early church, that they would know God a little bit better. That is not at all a part of my New Year's goals. Like, not even in the slightest bit. Anyone else, when they're thinking for their goals and New Year's resolutions, anyone be like, I want to know Jesus better. Well, most of you, but you're too humble to say, right? It's not something that we commonly think. It's not been on my goals for this year to know God better. Um, Probably wasn't on my goals for last year to know God better. It's something that I just kind of hope will happen, but it's not something I would intentionally think, yeah, this, for this year, my goal is that I want to know God. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, we come from lots of different backgrounds, and some of us have been Christians for a little while, and some of us have been Christians, um, you know, just brand new. But often when we think about God and this journey of knowing God, it's different when we started than where we are, eh? Like, how many of you remember when you first came to faith in God, or when you were first thinking about and going on this journey? I know for me, when I felt like I realized who God was, I felt like I was seeing God in everything. Like, it didn't matter what it was. I was so excited if I was going to go hang out with people. I wanted to talk to them about what God was doing. If I was at home, I was be thinking, oh, God, what are you thinking for my life? At work, I was thinking, how is God going to be in this situation? When I was walking, I was looking at the mountains and the hills, and I was like, man, God is amazing. It was this huge part of my life when I started off. But as you kind of go on with faith, it's really easy for it to be like, oh, yeah, yeah Jesus is cool. 
And I think it's part of that is human nature. So let me give you an example. How many of you guys have one of these in your pocket? One smartphone, hey. Almost everybody. Do you remember when you got this for the first time? Do you remember when you got your first smartphone? Oh, it was a nice feeling, eh? Like, you get that box, right? And you just open it up ever so gently, and you look at it, and you're like, oh, it's so shiny. You know, like all of us do. You can see your face reflection, and you're like, this is the greatest thing. You know, and so you're really careful. You try not to touch it because you don't want to get smudge marks on it. And some of you weirdos leave the plastic on it for a ridiculous amount of time and annoy the living daylights out of the rest of us sane people. Pull the plastic off your electronics, otherwise you're weird. Um, you know, and then we go and we get these huge cases for it. We wrap it in like titanium so that it never breaks. We'll often put a second screen on it made out of shatterproof glass so that our phone doesn't break apart when we drop it. And for like the first month, we're like so precious with it. You know, we don't drop it, we hold it on so carefully. But what happens after like a month, two months, three months, eh? You're like, nah, let's check it around. I'm a parent and I got two little kids. And any of you who are parents know that your kids try to grab your phone more than you do. And um, we're trying to constantly, I'm, I'm sitting there and like, there's this like amazing piece of technology and my daughter Cora, who's one, is just like trying to chew off the end of it. And I'm like, I suppose I should stop her from doing that or... You know, you just kind of toss it around, you drop it, or I, you know for a fact that we get over-familiar with our phones when um, a recent study was done looking at phone demise. And this study suggested that about one in five phones during their lifetime will get dropped into the toilet. One in five. You know we're not treasuring something if we're taking it into the loo with us, really, right? One in five drop into the toilet. And in the UK alone, the other year, they, had, they fished out 850,000 phones from the sewer systems that got blocked in there. And in China, get this, in China, some guy dropped his phone into his toilet, so he reached in to try and grab it, and his arm got stuck. <laughs> he got stuck in the toilet, so he had to call for help. No one's quite sure how he called for help, because his phone was in the loo. <laughs> but he had to call for help, and so emergency services had to come and physically cut the toilet apart to get his arm like out and get the phone as well. And everyone was happy. They put it in a bag of rice and it magically worked again, right? <laughs> but this is the thing, eh? With phones, even like with this basic technology, when you're over-familiar with something, it's so easy to just become a way too accustomed to it. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's so easily the same way we think about our relationship with God. When you start off, we all know logically that if, if, uh, if you're all on the same page, if we're all Christians, we believe God to be the infinite creator of all things, who knows each and every one of us in detail, who knows our call for our lives, who is journeying with us, who's been there before us, who's going ahead of us. He's formed the very air that we breathe. He holds us all together by his strength. And then usually we're like, oh yeah, it'd be cool if I can get to know that person a little bit more, but pretty stoked for the new Avengers movie. You know? And when you become overly accustomed, overly familiar with God, it's really easy to let that goal just slip away. And when we no longer seek to know God, how easy it is for us to become apathetic in our faith. You know, it's so easy for us to become consumer-orientated when we think, oh, we'll just go to God to get what we need from him so that once we get our, you know, our good vibes, we can go off and do everything else we need to do. Super easy to become bored and dissatisfied. I mean, how many people do we know? I mean, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand because that's an awkward question, but how many of us, when we think about this year 
and you think about a whole year of sitting in church week in, week out, listening to me or Craig or someone else just preach every week, actually fills you with more dread than excitement. It's so common, eh? Because that, that journey, that great adventure, that great hope of knowing the creator of all things has become a, an optional if, a side thing that we get to if we get the chance. Uh, a writer by the name of A.W. Tozer writes this. He says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is often the most important thing about us. And when we think about God and we think about knowing that journey, if we're starting to get bored or apathetic or losing hope or, or, or energy, maybe we actually don't know God that well. Maybe we've become over-familiar with the highlights of it and we've stopped digging in to the great richness and the great depth of what's there. Because it's not just here in Ephesians, this theme of knowing God comes through the whole of our scriptures. The author of John writes this, this is eternal life, to know God, to know the Father and to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Paul builds up on it later in a letter to the Philippians and he writes to them about this one key thing. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so that somehow I can attain that resurrection from the dead. And now here's the interesting thing. Paul goes on. Now you need to remember at this point, Paul is writing this near the end of his life. He's in chains. And this is Paul who spent his whole life preaching and proclaiming the gospel to different churches across the country. He has gone to all these different nations. He's told everybody about it. He's like the pinnacle. He's the Christian thinker. He's the leader of the church for the Gentiles. He's what you'd think of of someone who knows God and knows everything about him. And here, even at the very end of his life, at the end of his journey, this is what he says. Not that I've obtained any of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you hear the passion in this man? Can you hear the longing that is within him? Someone who, even though he's been on this whole journey for so long, he's been to more church service, he's preached more sermons than most of us. That drive is still so keen in his heart. What has God called me to? To know him. And even now, I have not even scratched the surface. And this is one of the fun things about the church, right? So we've been around roughly 2,000 years. And when you think about like this early first community and what they kind of knew about God, and the amount of growth that has happened in 2,000 years, it's insane. When you think about some of the great Christian heroes of the faith, Thomas Aquinas, Anselm, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, Luther, Jonathan Edwards, um, you have these amazing Christian thinkers who have 
push the boundaries of understanding what grace looks like, of God's heart for the poor, of God's plan of redemption for the world. For 2,000 years, we've been digging into these scriptures and collectively as a church, learning more and more about God. And now here's the kicker. After 2,000 years, we've still only scratched the surface. After 2,000 years, we as a church still only are just beginning to understand the great breadth and depth of God's love for his people. We're only beginning to understand of what it could look like when the kingdom of God comes here on earth as it is in heaven. We're only beginning to understand God's amazing ability to transform even the least, the poor, and the worst among us into the greatest. We've only scratched the surface. There is still so much for us to know about God. There is still so much for you to know about God. All of us have only just begun but how easy it is for us to, at this stage of our journey, be like, yeah, I'm good. But it's nothing, you know, but God is always faithful and he always switches things up. So for me, like I said, knowing God wasn't one of my big goals for 2018, necessarily, because I had a lot of project, projects to do. So I've never planted a church before. So in one sense, I have no idea what I'm doing. None. I'm... <laughs> figuring it out as I go along. And so there's, but there's heaps of things I've had to do in the meantime. You're having to put together rosters. You're having to think about sound systems. You're having to think about health and safety. You're having to approach different venues and schools and principals and see what, how that's going to work out and higher-age fees and how much is that going to work. Have to put together the budget. Have to put together all these different things. And there's so many things I have to do that it's really easy to become project-orientated of trying to achieve all these goals. And I'm sure... All of you guys will experience this in the journey that you've been on. But God sometimes has a way of reminding us of what's important in that journey. So for me, about, gosh, it would have been about a month ago, in about early December, I'd been negotiating with one uh, venue for us to be able to hold our services there in the early part of this year. And it had all been looking pretty good. Um, but in early December, through a series of a whole bunch of different circumstances, I got a word back from that venue saying that we we're going to be unable to rent there in the new year, and they're probably not going to do any hireage until later on in the year. And then by that time, it was like mid-December, so I'm calling everybody, and like everything was booked. And you're like, oh, yay! We got nowhere to meet. And uh, it like threw everything out, because when you have nowhere to meet, you can't do your launch date. When you can't do your launch date, you can't do your backwards planning to think when you're going to do social media posts, when you're going to do outreaches. It just threw everything into a tailspin. So within the space of one week, I went from feeling really confident about all of my goals for 2018 to suddenly feeling like, I have no idea what my goals are. And it was incredible what happened in that journey, because it was in the midst of this upsetting, tumultuous time that I began to read through Ephesians. And I read through Paul's prayer. And if I were Paul, well, right now as I was sitting, I had a lot of things I was praying and asking God for. Heaps of things I was asking God for in the midst of this church and all the things I wanted to accomplish and all the things I wanted to be. And here comes Paul's prayer. I pray that you might know God better. And I realized how easy it is for all, us, all of us to become so focused on the things that we need to do that we still miss our primary calling. You know, as a church that we're trying to start, we can try and run the best programs anywhere. We can try and put on the best services, run the best outreach events. We can try and do all this really, really good stuff. But if we miss this core calling to know God in our own lives, then it's all for naught. We're just putting on a show for other people. We're doing something to pat ourselves on the back. 
Because at the end of the day, as much as God wants to do stuff in and through us, he can pick anyone to do that. He wants to do stuff in us, and we need to know him more in that journey. And so Paul's words, when I looked at that and prayed that you would know him better, it like cut deep into a knife like within me. And I realized this needs to be one of my goals again. This needs to be one of all of our goals, that this year we might know God better. Because here's this crazy thing that happens. When you strive to think about God in the midst of your situations and you strive to think about knowing him and engaging on this journey with him and walking this road with him, things begin to change. Even for me, as much as there are big questions about what's going to happen with the church plant, how we're going to put it together, and I have these little pity parties thinking, woe is me, no one loves me. When I begin to think about God and his faithfulness and his goodness and that journey deep into his heart, and I think about how big he is and how great he is, suddenly the problems that I'm facing take on a whole new perspective. Because I realize God is so much bigger than just a venue. And actually God is so much bigger than our feeble attempts to put together a church. And actually we're way more reliant on him for everything else than just trying to get a venue. He has to do everything. He has to draw the people together. He has to bind us together. He has to teach us how to worship. He has to teach us how to go on mission and follow his leading. Flip, I'm focused on this one little thing, but God's picture is so much bigger. And Paul even touches in on that, saying, look, I know that you know God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you might know the great hope to which he has called you. When we follow God, when we go on this journey, suddenly you have hope because we're following someone who's so much bigger than all of our fears, our doubts, our anxieties. He holds us in the palm of our hands that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people, how valued we, each and every one of us are as God's inheritance. He has opened and paved the way, broken heaven and earth separation to bind us together. He has moved everything so that you might be with him. Do you understand your value in him? And that you might know the incomparably great power for those who believe. We quibble, we worry, we stress, we have fears, we have doubts, but the power of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and set off a revolution that has literally changed the face of our world, that same power is dwelling within you and me. That same ability, that same ability for God to transform the very worst, the very least, the very most broken, the the worst parts of us, the death within us, to transform it into life. That power exists within each of us as we believe and to know him. Do you see how that begins to shape? How that begins to shift when that goal is put back where it should be? Church, as we think about this next year and all the things that God is calling us to, let us not forget this great calling. Our first and foremost thing that God calls us to, that we might know him better. So as we're wrapping up, I want to go into something a little bit more practical. Now, hopefully you guys are like, yay, I love Jesus. I want to know him better. I want to be more involved with him, right? Hopefully most of us are there. But it's often really hard to know how, right? Like, cool, I'm on board. I want to know God better. So what do I do now? Do I just hope that something will happen? Do I just hope something will magically come together? There's, um, there's this story that always comes to mind when I think about this. It's, uh, it's one of the stories in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's incredible. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are doing their thing. They've been preaching in the countrysides and the regions, and 
you know, Jesus is, as usual, amazing. And everyone's like, he's so cool. And there's crowds and everything's great. So Jesus goes up onto the mountain to like get some quiet time and pray. And the disciples take the boat out onto the lake. And so nighttime comes and it's dark and a storm rises up on the water. And everyone's starting to get really nervous and really afraid. The waves and the water are starting to crash higher and higher. And the disciples are starting to get really nervous until they look out onto the water and they see this being and they lose their minds. They're like, is it a ghost? Is it a demon? Is it an angel? What is it? And so they call out, who are you? What are you? And this voice comes back out to them from the water saying, it's me. And they hear the voice of Jesus. And Peter who's just so wonderful, does the most illogical thing. You know, if that were happening and you weren't sure if it was actually Jesus or just your mind, you'd be like, cool, Jesus, if it's you, do you mind just coming into the boat and sorting out this whole thing? That would, that's what I would do. Like, just fix our problems. Instead, Peter calls out, Lord, if it is truly you, if it's really you, call me out to join you on the waters. And so that voice echoes out, come. And so Peter as most of us are familiar with this story, Peter steps out and begins to walk onto the water and he begins to move forward. And it's incredible. Everyone's like, what is a water? But then he looks and the waves are getting bigger and the rain is piling up and he begins to see all these environments and he, he sets his eyes on some of these other things around and he begins to get fr- fearful and, and, and anxious and he begins to sink. And as he's sinking into the water, he calls out, Jesus, 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 save me. And We can't be sure in what way it's said, but in my mind, Jesus comes to him. And with a smile on his face, he reaches out and grabs Peter by the arm and says, Oh, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? It's me. And they walk back onto the boat. And as they get back into the boat, Peter makes this wonderful, beautiful confession. Surely, Jesus You are the Messiah, the Son of God. What I love so much about this story is sometimes in order to know God a little bit better, we got to step out of our boats. Sometimes we got to step out of the areas that we're comfortable with. See, Peter could have called God, could have called Jesus to come into the boat, but I don't think if Jesus had just walked into the boat, they would have had the same knowledge of who Jesus was. I don't think unless Peter went and stepped out of that boat and walked upon the water and sank into the water and feared for his life and felt the reassuring grip of Jesus' arm around him as he carried him up and lifted him back into the water, it was only once he went through that process that he got into the boat and looked back at Jesus and said, I know you differently than I did before. I know something about you that I didn't know earlier. You truly are the Messiah, God's son. And as we engage in this journey about moving forward and and going on this journey with God, sometimes we might need to step out of our boats. When's the last time you stepped out to a place where you felt incredibly uncomfortable and way over your head with faith? Has it been a long time ago? If it has, can I encourage you this year as you think about your goals and what you're wanting to achieve? Can I encourage you to take this one seriously and maybe it's time for you to step out. Maybe you felt like faith has been really boring for you for a while. Like you've heard it all before. You've been through the same ropes. You've, nothing's new. It's all just kind of blah. Maybe you need to join on and be a leader at our Wired Youth Group because there is no better way to invigorate your faith than hanging out with 16-year-olds. And I guarantee you they're going to ask questions you never thought to ask. 
And if you're in that journey, you're wanting to know God better, step out of the boat. You may be terrified of teenagers. They're probably terrified of you too, but I promise you'll know more about God as you go on that journey. Or maybe you're terrified of study. You know, maybe the books and having to sit through sermons, you're like, oh man, I can't do it. Maybe what God might be calling you to is to step out of your boat and go do some study somewhere. Maybe do a distance course at Cary Baptist College. Maybe jump into something you're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm equipped to do some of those things. God, if I don't If you don't help me, I'm not going to succeed at doing this. Maybe this is a year for you to step out that way. You know, maybe you've kind of just been sitting at like the entry doors of faith for a while and you've heard some of the basics, but you don't know more. Maybe alpha is the right thing for you to step out of the boat into. I mean, sure, it can be awkward. It's always awkward you go to a table full of strangers that you don't know and you have to talk about the deep and meaningfuls of life that no one has any real answers to. Yeah, that's uncomfortable, but that's okay because it's in your discomfort when you're walking out of that boat, I promise you, you will get to know God better. Maybe you've been in New Zealand your whole life and faith looks exactly the same to you because this is the only place you've only lived in in Tauranga and been here. Maybe you need to go on a missions trip. Maybe you need to visit some of our missionary partners in different parts of the country. Because if you go and spend time in Calcutta or in Thailand and Bangkok and you see how the Christians worship there, I guarantee you, you're gonna learn something new about God. And I guarantee your faith is never gonna be the same if you engage in that. Maybe it's time if you start saving up money for that to be part of your goals. Or maybe if you're really insane and you really want to join a project where people don't know what's going on and we're figuring it out week to week and we're hoping and praying that it doesn't fold, maybe you should come help us plant a church in Papamoa. We're on that journey. And I can guarantee you for all of the team that's there, every week we're like, yeah, we don't know what God's going to do. But we're learning so much about him as we go and as we step forward. Look, this is my hope and my prayer. I don't know what that looks like for you, and I don't know what your 2018 looks like. I don't know necessarily how your faith journey has been or how your walk with God has been recently. But I pray that this year you would learn to know God better. I pray that this would be a year where you think of one opportunity, one place where you can step out of that boat, put yourself into a place of faith mixed with a little bit of fear, and I promise you God will meet you in that place. Because this knowledge of God that we're talking about, it's not just abstract, theoretical, it's knowledge through participation. You begin to see God in your fears, in your doubts. You begin to see God and understand his presence in your joys, in your celebrations. You know what it's like to be with God when you're disappointed that the plans didn't go through, but you also know what it's like to celebrate with God when he pulls off something that only he could have done. That's the journey that each and every one of us are called to, and that is that primary calling for all of us to know God. So this year, church, don't let your faith sit around like an old smartphone that you don't care about anymore. Let's engage because the creator of the universe is at our doorstep and he wants to know you. So can we stand as we pray? But because I've ruined all my tricks and anything I pray, you guys are going to be skeptical. Um, I figure we might as well close with Paul's prayer because I think he did a pretty good job. So, Lord, we keep asking that you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, might give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we might know the great hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance and your holy people, and the incomparably great power for those of us who believe.
That power is the same as the mighty strength you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God, you placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Lord, this year, help us to know you better.